Welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and each week on this podcast, I talk to some of the most fascinating people on the planet in all areas of life, from mindset to fitness to spirituality, and of course, business. Look, I believe you deserve success in all the areas of your life, not only business. But before we get into today's show, you may want to join us on our next Work Hard, Play Hard experience. This year, we're going to be going to Mykonos and Marrakesh. In these experiences, I have hand-selected a group of high-performing business people who are seeking more balance, connection, and they want to celebrate their wins as a reward for the hard work that they put in. If you want someone to curate once-in-a-lifetime experiences and force you to play more, rush over to workhardplayhardexperience.com. Fill out an application so we can jump on a discovery call to see if this is a good fit for you. And remember, excuses are over. It's time to live. I realized there too, like, hey, I got to actually know these players and their skill sets a lot more and just give them exactly what they need. Not just being confident in what I think they need, but knowing together with them what they need. But as long as we're always going forward, we're always trying to take active steps forward, we're going to land on this. And we have to be open to it to be in something maybe slightly different or completely different than we had set out for it to be. Fulfillment to me is being intentional, being very efficient with my time, intentional with spending time with my wife and making sure that I'm spending time with God daily. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. Today on the show is David Nurse. David is an NBA lifetime optimization coach, best-selling author, and worldwide motivational speaker. So David was a former professional basketball player and a coach for the Brooklyn Nets. He has helped more than 150 NBA players with their personal and professional development, both on and off the court. So the reason why I wanted to have David on the show is because he has a unique approach to coaching and manifesting what you're after, and it's perfectly timed because we're in a new year. It's 2021. So I promise you will learn things about execution that you have never heard before and will immediately implement. So Please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with David Nurse. David, welcome to the show. I appreciate you having me on. Looking forward to this. You know what, man? I am super excited that you're here today because we're going to dig into all things pivot. There's a green book behind your left shoulder, and it says the words pivot. We're going to talk about pivoting. Sometimes our plans take a different path, and that new path might even be better than the original path, which we're going to talk about in your story in a minute. So I can't wait to get into all of this. So thank you for taking the time to do this. Well, absolutely. I mean, this time that we're living in right now, that is the term. That is the hot word everybody's talking about. It's 
it's a feeling that we all feel stuck to some extent. And that's a pivot is actually a basketball term that I took it from. It's where the defenders are all on you. You can't see the hoop and you just make this small, slight turn, not this big drastic change, but the small, slight pivot, which changes and, and opens up an entire new perspective. And that's, that's what we're all going through right now in this time of life. I never realized that, that it was a basketball term. Okay, cool. I want to take you back. I'm going to rewind the clock a little bit. I want to yep. take you back to growing up in Iowa in the 90s. Okay? Remember that time? Oh, I remember it. Yes, definitely. <laughs> All right. So you were a basketball-obsessed guy. Your uncle was Nick Nurse. He played for the NBA. And you said, well, I'm going to play for the NBA too. So you played for the uh, – you you wound up – you well, you wanted to get into basketball. And I think there was a, a, a moment there in Iowa where you – the team you were on was an NBA team. Is that right? So the team I was on was an NBA D-League team. So it was like the minor league system leading okay. up to Okay. You got yeah. pretty close. I got pretty close, but I was never like realistically going to be in the NBA. It was actually my, my uncle was the coach for that team. So he kind of like let me in. Now I thought, I thought that I could play in the NBA and I like, that is kind of my life in Iowa was literally pouring every ounce waking hour I had into playing in the NBA. All right. So after, after this period, there was a, you, you had a brief uh, stint with basketball in the States. And then you decided to go abroad and you had a, another little stint there abroad. But then at 25, you said, that's it. I'm retiring. Why? Because to be honest with you, I did. I saw the writing on the wall and being six two, unathletic, never dunked a basketball in my life. Now I'm not, I'm not unathletic, but in NBA standards, I'm very unathletic. So I didn't want to wake up and be 35, living in Lithuania, making $200 a month. And the, the other part about it, too, is like this second division team that I was playing for in Spain, in the Basque region of Spain, was, it was more like that movie Semi-Pro with Will Ferrell, more of a joke of a league where I was putting everything into it, like two-a-days, extra film study, all this stuff. And the players on the team were more concerned about drinking beers at halftime than they were the actual game and getting better. So... I kind of saw the writing on the wall and, and I got cut from that team. So literally I I've had everything that I poured into thinking this was my life path taken out from under me, turned upside down and my face rubbed in the dirt. So I almost had no other option to be like, okay, I gotta, I, I gotta pivot. All right. Well, so this is what I want to talk about. So you had this dream, right? At, at one point there was, at the very beginning, hey, I'm going to play basketball for the NBA. This is, the, this is like this one moment thing. But then as time goes on, you start to go, I don't, I don't know if that's my path anymore. But I do like basketball. I am good at this, but I'm not that level. And you somehow wound up becoming a personal shooting trainer. And you decided... That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do personal shooting. What was it about that world of training people on how to be better shooters that excited you even more? Yeah, you know what? To be honest, it was like that was my gift was to be able to shoot a basketball. I couldn't do anything hardly else on the court, but I could really shoot. I got some world records still to this day of three points made. So I knew I could do that. Now, I also realized that 
everything that I poured into playing. So I did a lot of like extra study, film study, and, and I knew all the details. So I realized, hey, I have this knowledge. Now I can coach, I can teach this knowledge. What is my best skill set? It is shooting. Why don't I put those together and become the best shooting coach I can possibly be? So that became my mission. That became my pivot when I made that realization. We can go into how I made that and how I became unstuck and how I realized how to pivot. But I made that my goal. I was going to be the best NBA shooting coach possible. And that was my journey. That was my mission from there on out. Now, is that a... Is that a thing or did you create shooting coach? Has, has that existed prior to you? You know what? It, it has, but it hasn't been that prevalent. It's getting more and more now because people see how important shooting the basketball is. But there was one guy that I, I he was the best in the NBA. His name's Chip England. He was shooting coach for the San Antonio Spurs. So I viewed him as like, man, I can be like that guy. That's he, He's done it. I know I can get to that point as well. So I hand wrote him a letter. I emailed him. I, I tried to call him. I even traveled out to Las Vegas just for the opportunity to meet with him at, at NBA Summer League out there. And he saw all that I'd been putting into like, this guy really wants it. He has this drive. So he kind of took me under his wing from there and helped me along the way. But it's, uh, yeah, it really wasn't a, a huge thing. Now it's become much more every team has one. Okay, so now you you founded a company which is called Perfect Shots Basketball. Do you think that anyone can train and get a perfect shot with enough practice? Yeah, I I mean I think you can. I'm on the belief that you can always become the best. Now, different people have different ceilings, so natural body movements is it's going to be like just like anything in life, you're going to be able to be better if you have a natural inclination for that. So yes, that being said, I think anybody can break a bad habit. It's never too old to be able to become a better shooter, but it is diff- more difficult. Like I'll have players that have been shooting the wrong way for their whole life. So that muscle memory, that myelin is built in their brain of that's how they do it. So I- I'd rather have somebody who's not more like molding clay that I can help them develop that is a lot easier because it's all about unwinding the muscle memory and then rewiring it the correct way. So long, long answer to a short, short question, but yes, anybody can become a great shooter. Well, let's, this is good. Let's, let's dig into that myelin piece a little bit because the myelin is basically that sort of, uh, if I understand my neurology correctly, it's, uh, it, it's, it's basically that hard wiring of the, uh, the, what do you call it? The, uh, the nerves, right? The nerve roots. So that, that memory that you have, that memory path that you have, but people really, once that those nerves are wired and fired together, they're very, very difficult to unwire them. So how do you unwind that? Well, what's that process look like? Yeah. So every single repetition or every single thing that you do throughout your day is building muscle memory. Now, when people think about muscle memory, they think about these are these good habits. These are these good things that you're building in, but it can also be bad. Like if somebody's shooting the basketball the wrong way, that's building deep myelin and wrapping tighter more and more and it's going to be harder to unwind. So it's just the reverse process. I'll, have, I'll show them the correct way and I'll never throw more than they can handle. Like it's 1% steps. I'm really big on 1% steps. One after the next. If you try to give somebody like, let's say for a shooter and they've got five things they need to fix, 
you try to work on those five things right there, it's going to overwhelm them. They're never going to be able to do that. That's like in life. If we try to make this huge, huge, drastic change with all these different things together at once, it's not going to happen. But if you take 1%, these small, minuscule steps, these micros that lead to the big macro, understanding that it's going to take time to get there, but that's how you develop the muscle memory. So you unwind it by putting in these good repetitions, taking out these bad practices, these bad habits, putting in these good habits, and then it's the compounding effect day after day after day. So it unwinds, and while it's unwinding, it's rewiring this myelin in the correct fashion and in the way that you want them to be. Well, you know, you have a very interesting job because when you're doing this, the people that you're training how to do this, they're not in a vacuum. They're in an event when we didn't have a pandemic, people actually came to basketball games and, you know, there's, they're screaming at the players. And I remember, um, I interviewed, uh, Tom Brady's trainer, Alex Guerrera. And one of the things that they, that he was talking about is not only do they have to train them, but they have to prepare him to do the activity while he's being booed with, you know, a hundred thousand people screaming at him. So like, how do you address the mental components that goes along with the actual skill set of what you're training? Absolutely. And the mental component is 90% of the whole picture. The skill component, that's only 10%. All these guys are very, very talented. And it's just divided by just a small, small section that separate them all. But the mental side is the most important. It's, it's really difficult when you're on the floor, all these lights are on you, everybody's watching you, the pressure's on. So the things you could normally do just in practice, it's, it's magnitude to a different level. So we simulate that as much as we can in practice. Like even if I have a player that's coming off the bench, she's not a starter, I'll have him sit there. We'll sit for like 15 minutes, just sit. And then I'll just say, go. And he has to sprint to the corner, catch and shoot, make a corner three. And then come back, sit for another 15 minutes. So we're simulating these live game actions. Now uh. for the Yeah, because we want, because they're going to be in that situation. Never are they going to be on, they're just going to shoot 10 shots, get loose until they feel good. We got to throw them through the fire. And if you can perform in the fire during workouts, that's what's going to make this, these games even more natural and easy for you. And for the mental component, I have a seven steps to unshakable confidence that I go through with my players and different steps that we can outline. But one of the main ones is the visualization pieces. They're sitting down before the game and they're seeing the entire game happen before it happens. So that way their, their subconscious has already seen them go through these plays so they know that they can actually go through these plays. So they see every, every play, everything that they do, all their shots before the game happens. And then the key component of this is they rewatch the game, visualize it again, but see it from a perspective of something crazy go, goes all, all, all whack, all wild. Like they're missing a ton of shots. They're having their worst. Like how do they, how do they pivot away from that and have a good game? So they're seeing the game from two perspectives of how they want it to be and when something goes crazy, because there's always going to be something that happens that goes crazy, tries to throw them off their game during that game. So that's one big component of the mental side. But there's there's a whole lot more into that to that. But to your point, yes, the mental component, training the mental component is the most important. And it's it's funny because I've been doing these NBA workouts in the offseason right now for guys. And, and one of my players, I just talked to him literally today. He was like, man, like this the mental component, like I never knew how important it was. I never knew how making these daily habits 
Like that's what changed my season. And he was, he went from bench player to, he was the Eastern conference player of the week, the week before the NBA all shut down because of COVID because he embraced the mental aspect. It's interesting. So the physical component makes up a percentage of it, but the the uh, the mental component may may make up more percentage than people actually give it credit for. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And the the analogy is like it, everybody knows they need to work on their skills and everybody works on their skills because that's a physical, tangible thing that you can see and you can see those results and you have your habits for the skills. But the mindset, the mental side like that's just, I mean, that's more important, but you have to have those same type of habits, those same type of routines from the mental side as you do from the skill side. That's cool. So I want to ask you a weird question. Um, when you were traveling around to, uh, let's say, we'll use uh, South Korea as an example, did you find that there were certain mistakes that South Koreans were making? And there were certain mistakes that Jap- Jap- the Japanese were making. Were there certain errors within countries or are, are, are the mistakes universal? Yeah. Are you saying as mistakes as in, in basketball related terms? Like, are they doing yeah, so something the, different? Yeah. So in other words, you're, you're, you're training them to shoot. And was there ever a, a situation where you like you go to Japan and you're like, I don't know why, but every time I come to Japan, they all do this thing. I don't know where this comes from. And anything like that yeah. come up? Absolutely. Every country is a little bit different because they've grown up playing a certain style of basketball. Like for Australia, everybody's very physical, very tough minded. Like they're more the the brute type of players. Was it, was that like rugby almost? Yeah, like exactly like rugby and the Japanese, they're more precision. They're more detailed. They're more like, they're just like really nitpicky together. Now the Chinese are a whole different as well. Like they're, they're on the mindset. It's, they're looking at basketball as like a nine to five job. So they have to be out there from nine to five every day, even longer. So it's kind of like, they're not getting, they're, they're not getting as great a development as they can. And in a short amount of time, it's kind of stretching it out, but there's, I mean, South America is different. Europe is more high cerebral type basketball. As far as the shooting component of it, it's it's pretty similar in all of the, the shooting side, but the style, the way that they play, the culture of their basketball is completely different. But the funny thing is, no matter where I go and these, all these 50 different countries that speak all these different languages, like I can I can have conversations with them through basketball. Basketball is a universal language that everybody can relate to. It's interesting. Okay. So your success in this field has opened the door uh, to you becoming the shooting coach for the Brooklyn Nets, right? What did it feel like for you when you walked on that court for the first time to train these guys where you got some of the best players in the world that are looking at you and they're like, okay, what's this guy going to teach me? Like, how how do you personally deal with that? Yeah. So a lot of it was like, Hey, I just, I knew I had to step on there on the floor with all the confidence that everything I said, I knew exactly what I was doing because I knew from experience. So I'd been working with NBA players before this prior to, before getting this job, I knew that in times of, if I looked unsure of myself, they could see right through me and they would eat me alive. So I knew when I stepped out there, I'd have all of this confidence, whether I really had it or not. It's kind of like the fake it to the make it type of perspective of it. But yeah, and I, and I would say everything I, that I would that I was trying to teach them with just real like 
this is what it is. And now it also got me in trouble at one point because I was dealing with this a nine-time NBA All-Star, Joe Johnson, and I put him through a workout and I was really confident. Like I was giving him all my best stuff, all these cool looking drills. And, and he went through it and he was sweating and tired and he called me over at the end of it. And I thought he was going to congratulate me. Like, man, you did a great job. He said, you know what, kid, I, I won't use any of these drills in the game. They weren't specific to me at all. So I realized there too, like, Hey, I got to actually know these players and their skill sets a lot more and just, give them exactly what they need. Not just being confident in what I think they need, but knowing together with them what they need. Yeah, I mean, you know, doing the kind of work you do, I could imagine, you know, if you come up against training LeBron, (laughs) you know, like, like how in the world does anybody even imagine, you know, like finding themselves in a situation like that? Like, is that, is that where you'd like to go with this? Do you want to go to that level where you're taking somebody like this ultra athlete and making them, you know, millimeters better? Yeah, absolutely. And to that point, like LeBron, he would embrace it because the best they want to be coached. So they'll seek out what they need. I don't know if he's at the point where he understands that he needs a little bit more of the shooting development and he's a great shooter, but he can be even better. Same for, same thing for Giannis, the MVP. Like if he could add a three point shot, if he realizes that that will take him to the next level, but the best in their field, they want to be coached. So they seek it out. So yeah, I've worked with some of the best shooters in the NBA, Kyle Corvers, Clay Thompson, Russell Westbrook on court, like, they, they, they seek it out. They really, really want to be coached. And that's the cool thing. Cause a lot of people will think, Hey, these guys, they don't like, they have it all. They know it all. No, they're trying to grow. They're trying to improve those 1% steps daily as well. Yeah, it's exactly right. I remember I asked the same question to Alex Guerrero and he said, look, man, we're, we're trying with Tom Brady. We're trying to get 1%. Like if I can get one, if I can get him 1% better then like I, I did it. So it's interesting, you know, with, with your book, Pivot and Go, which we'll get into in a second, these minuscule changes, Tony Robbins talks a lot about, you know, when you, when you hit a golf ball, if it goes one millimeter in that direction, before long, you're in a whole different zip code, you know, that ball just keeps going. So like one little millimeter changes everything. So how would you say that your type of training is different than what other people do who train the same kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, mine is very different. And most most people that are on basketball, coach, trainers, they're just focusing solely on the skill development. And that's great. Like that is a very important piece. But you can only be out on the court for maximum capacity about two hours a day. And the question is then becomes, what are you doing with the other 22 hours? How do you totally optimize yourself so that when you step on the floor for that actual game, that you are so prepared that you're at, imagine like in a chemistry lab, 100% beaker, like you're at the top of that. You're filled to the top of the tank every time you step on the floor. How do you do that? So for me, I hone in on sleep optimization, nutrition, recovery, and the biggest piece we've been talking about is mindset. So I put it all together in this total optimization plan. So not only am I helping this player become a better shooter or a better ball handler, but I'm also helping them get better, deeper sleep so they can have more energy on the court, teaching them how to eat the right way, what works the best for their body, what, what makes them fuel at the, at the highest level and their mindset, how they can step on the floor with the most unshakable confidence, no matter what happens, it comes their way in the game. They're able to 
bounce back and shoot that aside. And they're just at their top level constantly, 100% every time they step on the floor. So what I do is what I call total optimization as opposed to just skill development coaching. Okay. You mentioned um, eat, sleep, and recover. It's You're very interested in making sure that, and it makes sense to me, if you can only train for two hours, you still got 22 hours left in the day. What are you doing with it? So what techniques or approaches to improve those areas have worked really well for you? Let's take, uh, let's take sleep. Sleep is a big one these days. People are panicked and freaked out with a the pandemic. They're not sleeping, right? They don't know who the president's going to be. They don't know if they're getting rioted. They don't know what the hell's happening. Like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, how are you, how are you helping them in that? I got this, uh, I got this whoop that tells me, uh, you know, what my sleep is and, uh, hasn't been so good looking these days. How are you helping people with that? Yeah. You know what? I use the aura ring and it's kind of funny because it'll tell me sometimes that, Hey, I'm not fully recovered. You should take yeah. it. And it's almost puts it in my mind that, Oh man, I'm not feeling that good. I'm not that much energy. So it's almost like a placebo effect with it too. But yeah, I, well, that's I, a really good point, by the way. I never know what the hell to do with that. Some mornings I wake up and I go, I feel fucking great. And I look and I'm like, oh, no, I don't. This, yeah. this tell me I got 37% recovery and you shouldn't do anything. And it does mess with your head for sure. You want to know what I do? So when it gives me a great sleep score, I feel great. I'm like, okay, oh, I got two hours of deep sleep. I'm going to kill it today. If I get a bad one, I think, all right, these are those days I need to grind through. I can make it through this day. So I took it from a positive perspective on any way, but from either way. Yeah, okay. But tell me, tell me what you do for sleep. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And sleep, if, if I could put a top five, if you're going to have sleep, nutrition and training, it would be sleep, 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 nutrition, then training. That's the level that it, that's how important it is. It's like you plug in your iPhone and let's say you wake up and it, it, it came unplugged. It's like, like 20%. Like that's how you feel if you don't get a great night's sleep and you're, you're, it's miserable. So a few keys that I give to players is first and foremost is having an evening routine. And everybody talks about the morning routine and has been books written on it, but the evening routine leads you into that morning routine. You can't just watch a Netflix show and then just turn it off and expect to go to bed or be on your phone the whole time. Like you have to wind down. Yep. And one thing that I really found in working with NBA coaches especially is they have a racing mind and we all have a lot of thoughts on our, in, in our mind, going through our mind. It's what keeps us from having, from falling asleep. So I'll have each of my players and coaches that I work with write down everything that's on their mind, write it down on a piece of paper physically and put it right by their bed stand, wherever their bed stand is, put it right there because they don't have to go to bed, go to sleep with those thoughts in their mind. It'll be there tomorrow. They can pick them right back up tomorrow, but you're freeing yourself. You're freeing yourself of those racing thoughts through your mind. So that's a big key component. Another one is sleeping in the cold. And this is, this is so important for getting deep sleep, REM, great HRV is sleeping in the cold. I use a tool called the Chili Pad and the Uller, and it, it just slips right underneath your mattress. You don't even know it's there, but it, it cools your body temperature to whatever you decide it to be. Now, the ideal for deep sleep is between 57 degrees and 65 degrees Fahrenheit. I like to have mine really cold, and I'll encourage the players to have it really cold. But I, I've come to the point myself is like whenever I travel, I get horrible night's sleep because I don't have that Chili Pad. Like sleeping in the cold is that important. And another, another key that anybody can do just tonight too as well is sleep in the dark. Like even if you have these little flashing lights on your DVD player, on your TV, like that throws your circadian rhythm off. It, it really truly does. So having pitch black, having I wear an eye mask, my players wear an eye mask, sleeping in the dark is very important. Then also sleeping 
and without having just different random noises. Now you can use ambient sounds and like a, I'll use a, a, a white noise or a pink noise is actually been proven to get you better deep sleep and REM sleep. So having some kind of noise that drowns out any other type of noise that'll throw you out. So those are some of the key components and then we can dive even deeper in them, but it, it would be writing things down, having an evening routine. So you, you take away that racing mind, sleeping in the cold, sleeping in the dark and making sure you're, you're taking it out any random sounds. I want to make sure we talk about your book. So you decided to write this book, Pivot. What is the message? Like, what are you trying to get? Like, if you could just grab somebody by the neck and you could say, if you would just get this, well, what's yeah. that book trying to tell them? Great. Yes. Yeah. Small changes, small shifts in your perspective, just tiny shifts can change your entire perspective. So it's the term of the pivot. Literally, if you feel stuck in a situation, it comes down to like, you can look at it from a different perspective, a mindset pivot, and that's going to open everything up. Me playing in the NBA, small pivot. I, it was actually to coach in the NBA. I want to go down that road with you a second, yeah. because there are, there are many people who they, they go off on a career and they say, I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a candlestick maker, right? They have this thing that they want to do. And along the path, there are God winks. There are messages. There are thoughts that pop up, but we ignore them because we're trying to wrestle the goal that we intended to the grounds, do or die. And we're not looking at being open to those changes along the way because we feel like, well, that's not, that's not what I started this for. I started this so I can go there, not pivot here. How do you, how do you reconcile for people or how do you help people to understand that they need that this is a fluid thing and they need to be open to potential changes versus keeping your eye on the prize. Maybe speak to that a little bit. Yeah. So that's a great point. And to start that off, everything that we do throughout our day is a preparation for an opportunity to come. Now we don't know exactly what that opportunity is going to be. Sure. We can have a mission that we're driven on, but we might, it might be set up for us to develop these type of skills in this mission so that we can pivot to a different direction. And it's a difficult thing to balance of something that you think that you want so bad, but if you're banging your head against the wall and it's not happening, that's when you just have to step back and you have to analyze it. Hey, is what I am doing now, is it actually meant for something else? And if you can keep that open frame of mind, that is when these, these great breakthroughs tend to happen is these pivots and these, these absolutely like where you're actually supposed to be. And in that same breath, like I, we are always becoming. We have never just made it. Even if you become a doctor, you might pivot into a different type of doctor. There's no, there's no set in stone. And that's what's really fun about this life too, is, is we can be addicted to this improvement and addicted to continuing to pour into yourself so that you can pour into others. But really, I mean, everything that we do is a preparation for an opportunity to come with, with this, this great goal or dream or mission or vision that we don't even know that we have as much. Sure, we want to shoot for the stars and we don't even know exactly what it's going to be. But as long as we're always going forward, we're always trying to take active steps forward, we're going to land on this. And we have to be open to it to be in something maybe slightly different or completely different than we had set out for it to be. How, how do you differentiate between 
giving up too soon. I'm going to put giving up in quotes, giving up too soon and pivoting or, Hey, look, this is hard work. Like, you know, you got to keep, you got to keep plugging. Like, where is the line where you say, I've knocked my head against the wall for too long. I'm going to be a shooting coach and not an NBA player. Like, how do you, how do you know that you just didn't give up? Like, where's that line to know? Yep. So there's no exact line that everybody's going to be. It's a cookie cutter for everybody. But number one, you have to surround yourself with an environment of people that are going to tell you the truth. Now, they're going to be encouraging, supportive, but they're also truth tellers. So it's not like the person that's going on American Idol and everybody tells them the great singer and everybody can hear that they actually are horrible, but have people. But in. they make the best guess. Yeah, that's why they bring them on. <laughs> Uh, but have people in your life around you in your tight knit community that you know that you can ask. And this will give you like, have, have these mentors that help you along the way that are truth tellers. But also in that same in that same breath is you have to have your purpose for it. Like, what are you like, Why are you doing what you do? Like, why do you wake up in the morning? What juices you up in the morning? You have to have your purpose and you have to have that passion. So it's purpose plus passion is what's going to make you know you're on the right path. Like if I'm doing something and I know it's for the betterment of others and that I'm able to serve others through it, I know it has purpose. Now, if I'm juiced up about this, like, okay, I really love this. Like I know I'm serving these NBA players that I, that I work with, not just for their encore, but they have such big platforms and such big reach that they can have an influence on so many younger generations to come. So it's having the purpose with the passion and surrounding yourself with people in your tight knit community that are going to be your truth tellers. I think that formula is very effective for knowing when you should, okay, keep going, man, keep going. Don't give up. Like never give up. Or when you should, okay, still have that never give up mentality. Yeah. Then that doesn't change, but let's just angle it a different, let's, let's pivot. Let's go in a different direction. That's where you're meant to be. I love that. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you what your thoughts were on Michael Jordan's the last dance documentary. Yeah, it was beautifully done. But here's the thing. What people got to understand is Jordan had those tapes. It was his decision to come out with those. So that meaning like they were sitting in New Jersey for, I think, for 22 years. So he painted himself maybe a little better picture than he actually was as a person. Now, he's an unbelievable talent and he's a great competitor. But maybe the person he was is is not quite what it said. And he, well, listen, I didn't. I did not think after watching that that he was a particularly you know great, easygoing guy. So can you imagine the stuff that didn't make it to the documentary? Yeah, like, for sure. if that if that's what he released, because my takeaway from that was Jesus, that guy's intense. You know what I mean? Like uh, like and and in some ways a bit of a dick. Do you know what I mean? Like and so watching that. Like I can only imagine the stuff that he didn't, you know, let out there, but that competitive spirit is really the essence of, of sort of my question, which is like, what makes a LeBron and what makes a Jordan, like, what is the difference that's in the DNA with these guys that the other ones, you know, they just like, they're great. That's, that's why they're on the court. Like nobody on the Brooklyn Nets that you, you know, met didn't do the work and and wasn't good but 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 then there's still that thing that makes them separate so much from everybody like what is that what is that dna 
Yeah. And a lot of it is DNA. It is that, <laughs> having that literally having that killer mentality. And it is the hardest thing to teach somebody how to actually have that intense competitive focus. Like, like a Jordan, his intensity is on another level. Like Kobe, it's on another level, LeBron, but they're also addicted to improvement. I mean, you talk about Tom Brady's trainer, like this guy is mid forties and he's still at MVP form because he is addicted to the lifestyle of improvement. LeBron, he pours in 1.2 million into his body every off season, 1.2 million. He's investing in himself because he knows he's addicted to this improvement lifestyle. A lot of guys will be talented. And I've been around guys. I, I've been around a player who was every bit as gifted as LeBron but he didn't have the other aspect. He didn't have the killer mentality. He didn't want to work on it. So yes, talent is very, like you need talent, but talent without hard work or without consistent, what I call relentlessly consistent hard work is never going to mess to that high, high level. With Jordan, like he, you, you saw it. Like I thought it was amazing that he would, he would just create in his mind these beefs that other people would have for him that didn't even exist. So he could just drive himself and juice himself up even more. He needed it. He needed yeah. it. It's, it's, he's it, like, it's, I will kill him for what? Yeah. He's not even mad. Well, <laughs> but I need an enemy. I need a foe. I gotta knock. Like that. That's how he's wired. You know, it's fascinating stuff. And you know, so I'm curious to know what your thoughts are in the area of like, for example, LeBron now is, is, uh, has been hired by, uh, the app, the meditation app calm. Right. And he's doing like a, a series on that. What is your thoughts in the sort of spiritual woo woo meditative worlds. And then I want to, I want to, after that, I want to talk about something related, uh, which is HRV. Yeah, sure. And I'm going to come at this from probably a different perspective that people have talked about meditation, but I think the, the mindfulness is a term that's kind of like culture. Like those people will say it, but you have no idea what it means or how to do it. Like mindfulness. Oh, that sounds great. It sounds great. And if anybody's telling you like these guys out there saying, well, meditate for an hour in the morning, an hour in the evening, sit there and quiet. No, they're not doing it. It's that I think it's BS. A lot of it's BS. Like for me, like my, my, like everything is, is based in, in Jesus Christ. Like that is, that is where I have my faith. That's where I have every, like, and I'll spend my first 20 minutes of every morning with it just in, in the word or, or something. And, and I always spend five minutes just in complete silence and quiet. Now that five minutes, that's not easy. That's tough to just sit there for five minutes. So uh, yes, it's a very important to clear your mind. And I think these mindfulness apps will, will help to just kind of like get you along that path. But that being said too, I don't think it's, I don't think there's any other tangible thing to me personally. I don't think there's any other tangible thing that you can do that is going to make you fully, truly joyful. Like you have to have something, you have to have a higher calling for me. That is Jesus. God is a higher calling. Like that's what gives me this, this, this peace, this sense of joy. Like he has the plan. I don't have to do it on my own. I have to worry about it, but I don't think there's any meditation that's going to get you to that point. People will say it. They'll sell the heck out of it, but I don't think it's really true. Right. So you're, you're turning yourself over in your case, particularly to Jesus, but in maybe somebody else's case, it's to a higher power, but you're, you're recognizing the spiritual side of you, not just the physical, you know, flesh and bones part. And you're turning yourself over to that and allowing 
what's what's best for you to unfold in the way in the way it's going to unfold. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Yep. Cool. Cool. Okay. I want to talk to you about HRV. Um, I'm going to grab a little prop here. Nice. Uh, Love HRV, man. It's huge. All right. So for those of you that don't know, you got this little thing called the parasympathetic nervous system and the sympathetic nervous system. One's fight or flight. And the other one is rest and digest. And if they're not in balance, you're not in balance. And HRV measures the, the space between the heartbeats. And, uh, and you want that to be variable because there's a push and a pull against the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. Did I get that right? Got it exactly right. Yeah, impressive. Yep. Thank you. So my HRV has not been great. So it's been okay. I have a couple of glasses of wine and it crashes. Um, I overtrain and it crashes. And so I've always been trying to find a way that I could make that HRV better. And so I just got this new device um, that looks like that. And uh, for those that are listening, it <clears throat> you stick your finger in it and it measures your HRV with an app and you do breathing at a certain rate, certain number of breaths in and a certain number of breaths out. And a lady who trained, um, I'll give you her name, um, a lady, I can't think of it right now. I'll put it in the show notes though. A lady who trained Olympic athletes on how to improve their HRV did a whole bunch of research with this breathing stuff in the morning. So I just started this. Do you, what's your thoughts on the this sort of like new science in the world of HRV and how have you found ways to improve it? Yeah. You know what? I think, I mean, the more science we can have behind HRV, the better. It's one of those things that you, it's, it's been so hard to replicate getting the exact, the high HRV. Like some nights I'll have awesome HRV and I'll do the same exact thing and it'll be low. So it is a really tricky thing. Now that's, that's something new that I haven't even heard of. And I, I love that that, um, that concept to it. For me, one thing that I, that, that I heard and I, bet I, I do every night is I make sure I go to sleep in a happy state of mind, in a joyful state of mind. Now that's me and my wife having a great conversation, or we watch a video of our nieces that make us smile and laugh. Like even it's even been shown that knowing that the people closest to you, maybe they're across the country, your family members, if they're in a good state, like then you feel good and that raises your HRV. So that's one, one trick that, that I've been taught and that has, that has helped and I've seen it help. And, but I, you know what, if there's just, there's so much more to be found. And I think when somebody like this is able to be developed and be able to show like, Hey, you can get this HRV consistently, that's going to be next level for, for sleep development. Yeah, it's it's um it really is something. Let me see if I got this book here. I can show you if I can find it. Um, yeah, I gotta I gotta find her uh, her name. I'll, I'll okay. find it for. I'll send it to you. She's uh she's uh, Lagos is her name. Last name is L A. Here it is. Yes, it's called Heart, Breath, and Minds, and it's by a um, a uh, sports psychologist, Leah Lagos, L-A-G-O-S. And the whole book is on improving HRV. It's the first book that I've ever seen. So when you mentioned it, I wanted to ask you about it if you had heard of it. Yeah, I'll check that out, man, for sure. Yeah, 
absolutely check it out. All right. So I want to talk to you. Um, you are a, a spiritual guy. You're a happy guy. You love, you love your wife. You love your life. I could tell that. Um, so I want to talk to you a little bit about fulfillment. The show is about work and play. Um, and I think people spend far too much time in the area of work and they don't acknowledge the other parts of their life and play is included in anything other than business. So for you, what does fulfillment um, look like for you at this stage of your life? Yeah. Fulfillment to me, looks like putting uh, God and my wife first before anything else. And my biggest issue is I want to just continue to do, do, do. And I, it's hard for me to shut it off. So having a in the schedule time every evening that I'm going to shut my phone off. I'm going to shut work off so I can be with my wife. Intentional time focused solely on my wife. That is big time fulfillment to me. Now, I'm also a really big believer on balance being BS. And it's kind of contradictory because we're looking, everybody is looking for work-life balance. Yes, but be all in on the things that you absolutely love. Be all in on your family, all in on what your passion is. Now, the other stuff can balance it out if you need to, but also with these all ins, like you can correspond this together. So you're doing this, like you love working. Let's say you love working out. That's just your thing. You love working out. Work out with your kids, have them work out with you. They're seeing this, they're, they're, understanding this type of mentality and this type of hard work and you get to do what you love and with your family, like there's ways to, to, to fill in these things you're super passionate about, these play things with the balance of work, whatever you like, you take your kid to the office. I mean, we can't go to offices as much as much anymore, but there's a way to balance that together. So I mean, fulfillment to me is being intentional, being very efficient with my time, e- intentional with spending time with my wife and making sure that I'm spending time with God daily. Love that. What do people often get wrong about the kind of work that you do? They think it's solely just like basketball. Like they think it's solely just shooting a basketball. And I'm like, yeah, that's what got me into this. But from there, I've continued to develop. Like I've continued to develop into the optimization for athletes. Then it was the whole mindset. And then it was not just athletes, it was coaches. And then it was businesses. And then it was, hey, I realized that that my gift is actually encouraging people in their passions, not just coaching. So that's why I wrote a book. That's why I do a lot of speaking all over the place. And it's just... People think it's just David Nurse basketball or shooting, and that's kind of the identity that's thrown on me. But I'm a big believer in that, that you can vote for yourself. You vote for yourself. We're talking about all this election stuff. Vote for yourself every day of who you want to become. Speak it into existence. Like when I said I was going to be an author, I wanted to be a best-selling author. And it's still getting to that point. We're still on the way up there. But people would think, man, David Nurse, author? No, he's just, that's just basketball. But I kept saying, that's what I was doing. That's what I was doing. So soon, like uh, over time, it was people were asking me, hey, how's the book coming? And check it. Like, then it just become, okay, yeah, he, he wrote a book. Yeah, no big deal. Because I voted for myself every day in that aspect and literally spoke it into existence. I love that. You know, when you, we see these two guys, uh, Trump and Biden, that are fighting with each other in these, uh, you know, these debates and everything else, those two guys, whoever comes in, whoever's going to, they're not going to determine your destiny. You're going to determine your destiny. So, like, your point is so well taken. Um, okay, you are a, um, a very well-traveled guy. You've been all over the world, right? If you could spend one month with your lady anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? That is a great question. So I would say Israel. Israel is my favorite place 
because of all the meaning it has to it, but is also the best food. That food is, I love the Mediterranean, the hummus, and Tel Aviv is one of the sneaky, coolest cities. There's beach city. It's like LA, but cleaner. People are nicer. The food's even better. So I'd probably say Israel is also this, you can go in the mountains, you can be on the beach, you can be in the old biblical times in the city. There's so much going on there. So probably if I was to spend a month, it'd be there. If I was to spend a week, it'd probably be in the Maldives on one of those those uh, hut island things. So you could look down at the uh, the water through the... Yes. Uh, the I did, uh, last year, I did uh, Tel Aviv for the first time. Um, and dude, oh my God, it, you described it perfectly. What would your friends say is one of your superpowers? Superpowers is energy. I'm showing up with super high energy every single day. Yeah, you do have energy. What keeps <laughs> you up at night? Uh, just feeling like I didn't get enough done. Feeling like I could have done more and I want to do more. Do you collect anything or have you ever collected anything? Ah, do I collect anything? I don't really collect anything. I guess I used to collect these, these basketball figurines because I wanted to be in the NBA. So I try to get every single player's little figurines, but nothing so much anymore. What do people never ask you, but you wish they did? Uh, that's a, that is a great question. What do people never ask me? What's, what's my next pivot? Like no one really ever asked me like what the next thing is going to be, I guess. It's, it's more of like, I'm just where I'm at right now. And no one asked me what the, what the next big pivot's going to be. That's interesting. That's yeah. interesting. What's the answer to that? <laughs> you know what? Maybe it's because I don't really know. I mean, I know the vision. So the vision is to be a Tony Robbins mixed with John Maxwell leadership, mixed with Tim Grover, the sports aspect. So that's the vision, that culmination. Now, I don't know if it's actually going to be good. Like, if that's where I'm going to get. I know I'm going to get there. The road to get there, I don't know how it's going to actually go. But it's, it's going to unfold exactly the way it's supposed to. You know that, right? Yeah, what, is your, uh, what is your guilty pleasure? Guilty pleasure is ice cream, for sure. Love ice cream. <laughs> What's on your nightstand? My nightstand would be whatever book me and my wife are reading together. We'll read uh, some kind of relationship, marriage book. With, I mean, the five love languages, a book called Cherish, whatever we're reading together. Isn't that love language book amazing? It, everybody needs to do it. Even if you're not married, you need to know your love language and know, know other people's love languages around you. Like that, That's a game changer in relationships for sure. Can I tell you something? I have a six-year-old daughter and I am absolutely convinced. Well, I, I'm, I'm certain because I noticed that there were things that she was getting upset with me with that didn't make sense to me. And so we asked her the love language questions. And I realized that what she wanted was quality time. That was most important for her. So I have to, I now know that that is her love language. And when I'm with her, I've got to literally turn my phone off, not look at anything else and be just with her. And since I have done that, I am the best daddy in the world. If I don't do that, I'm the worst daddy in the world. Love languages are, and there's, it's so simple. There's only five of them. Yeah, it's in it literally like you can be with your spouse and you can be disconnecting because you don't know the other person's love language. Like my wife's is gift giving and receiving. So I know I have got to put in a lot of effort. And it doesn't have to be like an expensive thing, but man, the effort that I put into her birthday gifts and Christmas gifts, like it just fills her love tank so much. Like, it, I mean, she's kind of like everything's at the top. So I kind of have to fill it all five love languages. But you know what? Oh, another thing for the listeners, 
and you should do is, is know your Enneagram type. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm never big on personality kind of things like that, but the Enneagram is the best that I've ever seen. I do it with my NBA players because it shows you who you are at your best, who you are at your worst, how you can get to the best. And it's, it's on nine different numbers and it's, it's no one's better than the other, but it shows why people are the way they are. It's, it's a really cool See, I would have, I would have thought you would have lumped that into the meditation category. So now I'm going to have to do it. I've always thought that was a bunch of bunk. So I, always thought, I honestly always thought it was too, but I read the book and I've looked into it. Like it's, it's not one of those just kind of personality tests. Just to make do a I bunk. need to read the book too, or do I, or do I just need to take the test? Yeah, take the test. Take the Enneagram Ready test. R H E T T I. That's the full immersive one. There's a guy. Um, uh, Crone is his last name. Ian Crone, I think it is. He's kind yeah. of the any guy. You can listen to him, but it's it's really powerful, man. It's 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 like it hit me to the exact person that I am, like a high level encourager, very driven. Like you have different, you have your main strength, then you have a different wing of of what your secondary strength is, and then what you are at your worst. So it it's a yeah, it's a pretty good tool. All right, I'll take it tomorrow. Um, last question. We're going to change things up. What one question would you like to ask me? I would like to ask you, what juices you up every morning when you wake up? What just drives you to get out of bed and do what you do? Really getting super clear. I've gotten super clear on doing the things that light me up and eliminating the things that don't light me up and not making excuses for why I feel like I need to do those things. Um, and setting my life up in such a way that allows me to do more of the things I love to do and less of the things I don't. So an example of that is I do podcast recordings and things like this until noon every day. And then I surf for three hours. Um, and then I come home and I spend the remaining time with my family. Um, and then I go through my evening routine and go to bed. That would be number one. And number two is when we're not in a pandemic, I travel a lot for leisure and um, I enjoy the process of visualizing where the next Tel Aviv trip is going to be as an example. So th the point is that I've let go of the desire to make a hundred million dollars because I'm a guy and I want to make a hundred million dollars. And I rather focus on how much money do I need to make to live the life that lights me up. And so I'm living it now. I love that. Can I speak on that for a second? Cause that is, of course. that's the epitome of a rich life. People will think like, I know a lot of millionaires, billionaires, and they just want more and more and more. And they're so unhappy and they're working all the time. Like you have figured out that is the definition of a rich life, man. I, I have so much respect for that. I, I figured it out. You know, I had an interesting conversation with a buddy once and he, um, he caught me, we, we had dinner and he caught me sort of like uh, one, one of my friends is exiting a company for 200 million. I got another one is exiting for 30 million. And as a guy, it's very difficult to feel or, or, you, or you feel like you are inadequate because you're not doing, or at least I did feeling like, well, you know, I haven't achieved that level of economic success in my life. And 
we scheduled a time where we did a Zoom together and he said, I want you to lay out for me everything you want in your life. And in short, it was, I want a villa in Tuscany. I want to have $10 million um, by the time I retire. Um, and uh, I want to spend uh, two months a year in Europe. And I just laid it all out. And we quantified it on economically, how much money would I need to save and how much money would the lifestyle uh, need to be? Because I said, you know, I'm living in living in California, but I really want a place that looks at the ocean and blah, 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 blah. We went down the whole thing. And what we figured out was that to live the dream, the absolute, oh my God, this is over the top dream. And that included like things like $1,000 a week, which I'd never spend, but $1,000 a week to go out to dinner if I wanted to. It was like, I threw everything against the wall. It was 650,000 a year. So I looked at that and I went, I don't need 300 million. I don't need to be the doing the trade-off that it takes Mm -hmm. to give 20 hours a day or 15 hours a day of my life to build this $50 million company. When really what I know I need is $650,000 to be able to live this dream life. And somehow that little conversation reset everything in my brain. And it allowed me to be more peaceful about uh, being more content with the clarity in knowing what I wanted. Nice. Clarity. That's a very, very important term for people to realize. Clarity and essentialism. Nice. Yeah. Well, listen, Essentialism. Yeah. Great book. Um, so this was every bit as awesome as I thought it was going to be. You do have a lot of energy. I'm going to let you uh, go and go back to your uh, your beautiful wife and give her that energy of yours. It's Friday night here at the recording of this. So I'm going to let you have a great weekend. But uh, do you have any final words, suggestions, or an ask for the people that are listening? You know what? Just be open to, to to pivoting in your life, and just understand that we all have a gift inside of us. And our, the the biggest the biggest defender that we have in our lives is ourselves. Ourselves telling ourselves these negative thoughts. So understand that you have this gift. You have this gift to be able to share with others, to be able to help encourage others. Don't let it inside you. Don't suppress it because you're worried of what others think. Like you can absolutely live the life you want to live without caring how others view you or want you to live it. Like me and you, we are living examples of that. And we worked for it. Like it's going to take time to get there, but you can get there. Don't give up on that. Be open to pivoting and know that you will get there. Pivot and go, baby. We're going to link up. We're going to link it up in the show notes. And uh, thank you, buddy. That was awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Honored to be on here with you. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live.